BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You know, there are so many news stories that we simply can't get to and others that warrant a follow-up episode or others still that are important, but may not necessarily fall in our wheelhouse. And when we have enough of them, we like to compile them into an episode and get some insight and opinions from someone we know and respect. Today, that person is the one and only Mo Kelly. Morris W. O'Kelly is a radio and television commentator specializing in politics and current affairs. Presently, he is heard weekends as host of the five-time award-winning The Mo Kelly Show on the number one news talk station in America, KFI AM 640 in Los Angeles and iHeartRadio. He is just the person to bring us up to speed. Thank you for joining me today, brother. Ramses, it's good to talk to you. I, I welcome the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, let's get started. So all anyone has talked about over the past two weeks is Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. And since we covered the story the following day, there have been some pretty noteworthy developments. Tell us the latest on what's going on with that story and give us your thoughts. Well, I would say the latest with the story is just how people are receiving it. You had um, Harry Lennox, a venerable television actor, pen an editorial to the Variety, uh, to Variety, talking about how he felt that Will Smith should return his Oscar to restore the honor of the award. I'm not so sure that I agree with that. Mm -hmm. You've had people like 50 Cent who've come out and, and, and said that um, that this is something which is not going to harm uh, Will's career long term. I'm not so sure about that. Mm -hmm. So people uh, both famous and not so famous are weighing in as far as how they feel about it and also the industry implications. And also there's this undercurrent of how it somehow reflects upon black people. Mm. And that's the larger discussion. I think all of us have been feeling the need to weigh in on. We feel connected to the story itself on some level. That's exactly the position that we took as well, because, you know, we look at Will Smith as an example of black excellence and when Will Smith, his behavior comes into question, there leaves the potential for black excellence to come into question. And so obviously a lot of black folks got very uh, defensive when it came to like kind of protecting the narrative there. One thing that I found kind of interesting, though, is that there were lots of people who came out 
in support of Will Smith initially. Lots of people, even in the room, there were people clapping and cheering when he went to receive his award. And since then, it seems like the tide has kind of changed a bit. And it seems like there's more um, people condemning that behavior. And I thought that was interesting as well. That's an accurate read. And that actually bothered me because let's look at what it is. I always say in my work, let's get the easy ones right. And it's easy to look at this and see it for what it is. We do not live in a society where you can go to the award show to hear something you dislike, get up out of your seat and then go slap the shite out of someone who's on stage. <laughs> we can't do that. And if you look at it within that context then you say, Will is wrong. Now, it just so happened that it was on the largest stage in a, in a metaphorical sense mm -hmm. in the world and the whole world was watching. But it doesn't change it at, at its smallest component as far as right and wrong. Sure. And, I, and I know black people felt the need to defend Will Smith because there are examples of black men being unfairly targeted, not only in society, but also in entertainment. I get that. I understand that. And I respect that. But this is something where we should be able to look at it for what it is and say that, Will Smith, you're wrong. And then we can talk about the societal implications and the impact and where it goes from here. Will Smith's career is not over, but he's going to have to pay the price because when you take those actions on, on your own, then you are not in control of the consequences. Mm -hmm. He is only in control of his initial action. That was to get out of his seat and slap Chris Rock. Mm -hmm. And then the consequences will happen and they will continue for an indeterminate amount of time. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned uh, Will Smith taking responsibility for his actions. One of the things that a lot of people have talked about is really that, um, but largely missing from the narrative here, and I think it's by design, is Chris Rock and his take and so forth. Now, there was a response a few days after the fact from Tony Rock, Chris's brother. He got on stage and he just he had some fiery things to say, and rightfully so. That's his brother. Um, but what do you think Chris Rock's reaction will be? Or do you think, like a lot of people I've been seeing, that he's like waiting to get paid or something like that? What do you think? Uh, I think it's two parts. I think there is the business and career considerations that Chris Rock needs to concern himself with sure. in terms of whether or how he could or should monetize this, mm -hmm. be it through a joke, be it through a Netflix series, be it through um, a civil lawsuit against mm -hmm. possibly Will Smith and the Academy. Mm -hmm. There's that consideration. And then sure. there's the consideration of just being a black man who was slapped on international TV. Yeah, that's and I have to know I have to know that he knows that he will be the butt of memes and jokes for life, whether he likes it or not. Uh, and I think if he has any level of self-respect, he has to take that into consideration as far as how he wants to deal with it, because he'll never get that moment back. Mm -hmm. And I'm sympathetic to him for that. And I want to go back and get one thing. I'm not so sure that Will Smith has actually taken responsibility for his actions. We've had a published public statement mm -hmm. that he uh, put on YouTube, excuse me, Instagram. Yeah. He, he's had all sorts of statements, but I don't know how sincere they are because we've never seen him mouth the words, Chris Rock, I am sorry. Sure. We've seen a statement and he has, he had the opportunity to personally reach out to Chris Rock. From all we know, he has not. He has not called Chris Rock. He has not gotten on Instagram and, and, and done a video which says, Chris Rock, I am sorry. And it, we usually judge sincerity in terms of availability. If I'm going to apologize to my wife, and, and let's be clear, I have many times, <laughs> a published statement or a written statement is not going to do it. It's going to be insufficient. You're going to have sure. to put in the time and the work to show your face. And Will Smith has not done that as of yet. That's an excellent point. Uh, well said, sir.
All right. So moving on, there's a story about a Chicago church that decided to give up whiteness for Lind. And I, I need to hear your reaction to this story. First off, how does a church give up whiteness? Yeah, I don't know what they were trying to achieve, but um, <laughs> I look at this in two ways. OK, on its face, it's ridiculous on sure. its face. Sure. And if you want to give up something which is you know, going to make you a better person. Mm -hmm. Okay. If given whiteness, I'm not so sure that actually tracks in terms of a biblical interpretation. Okay. But if you, if you go beneath the surface and you look at what they're trying to do, as far as the inclusivity, as far as a multicultural type program yeah, leading up yeah. to Easter, I can get with that. Yeah. But sometimes it is about the packaging. It is about the presentation. If you present something as giving up whiteness, then not only are you giving fodder for your critics, you mm. will get what gets lost is the actual message, the actual conversation, which sure. could have come out of that. And then it just becomes a headline for people like a, a Ben Shapiro, whomever, to bemoan how it's labeled, but not mm. actually talk about the, the authentic issue underneath. Sure, sure. And that's that's a great point, because from my understanding, the way it works is this this church they put up a banner outside of the building that says that they are going to be fasting from whiteness. Um, I believe it was maybe Turning Point USA or some other right wing media outlet that caught a video of the banner and then proceeded to call it a form of segre segregation. And then that made its way to Fox and Friends and so forth. And so, yes, absolutely. They got the fodder to, um, you know, turn it into a headline without actually figuring out what they were trying to do, which my understanding is they were going to use only hymns written by people of color, you know, hymns from Africa, that sort of thing. And then teaching anti-racism sermons and, and teaching God's love for all people. And so you're absolutely right. We're trying to make it, um, the, the, the intent behind it was, was honest, but I think that because of the anti or sorry, the fast from whiteness, it became a headline. And so my hope is that the message isn't lost, but it seems like it might be at least according to those on the right so yeah we're not going to have a, a serious discussion of anything like this on a tucker carlson or a turning point yeah, usa exactly. charlie you know uh, any of them well you know the one thing that i thought was kind of funny is that you know i had a conversation myself not too long ago and i mentioned to a person we were having a conversation it just kind of grazed you know biblical topics we were talking about politics and you know the bible came into play and I mentioned something. I'm like, well, you know, there's really not any white people in the Bible. And this person was taken back by that. Like, oh, my God, absolutely. There is. OK, well, name a white person in the Bible. You know, <laughs> and, you know, if we're talking in general, you know, of course, there's, you know, parts of the world that are mentioned in the Bible where we know at that time white folks existed. But all the stories that we're talking about, we wouldn't classify them as white people based on today's race, racial uh lines dividing lines and so forth and so um i again i get what the church is trying to do here I, I love your thoughts on it of course um and uh we'll see what happens with that one bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in california and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. The legendary Mo Kelly is with us today, providing some compelling insight into some current events and topics of interest. Stay tuned because we're still going to discuss an article that suggests black women should marry white men. But first, this. Did you see Nicole Hannah-Jones on CNN with Chris Wallace? I sure did. That was heavy. So, so yeah. tell us what happened there. I want your reaction. I appreciate what Chris Wallace does, and I've mm -hmm. watched him long enough and his father to know when they're asking a question for himself. Mm -hmm. Or they're asking a question which they think the audience would ask, depending on who may be watching. And I thought it was a blend of both when he was talking to Nicole Hannah-Jones. And I found that Chris Wallace, some of those questions I thought were enlightening as far as his ignorance. Mm -hmm. And I thought some of the questions that he was asking were enlightening of America's ignorance. And sure. Nicole Hannah-Jones did a good job of explaining it to him in very basic terms of how we got here in a racial social construct sense mm -hmm. and who the people who put these constructs into place. And it I thought it was a masterclass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the funny thing is people that love to, to suggest that the country has moved beyond racism, people that cite Obama and, and uh, President Obama and Vice President Kamala Harris um, as examples of how far we've come as a country, they fail to acknowledge that there was half of the country effective, effectively that was opposed to us moving forward. And then these same people love to suggest that, you know, once the old racists die off, that, you know, we're going to, you know, move past it. We're, we're right there. We're right on the cusp and they fail. It's, it's like cognitive dissonance. They don't cite examples like Kyle Rittenhouse, who was 19, 20 years old, you know, that is, you know, a champion of, you know, those on the right as in terms of like how we should be protecting this country. You know, these, this, this act, this pro-American, super patriotic, really white activism or, or uh, patriotism, we'll call it, uh, 
um, exists. And a lot of people look past that to cite the examples I mentioned before, uh, President Obama, Vice President Kamala Harris, as um, like a guidepost or a marker to how far we've come as a country. And I think that that disconnect is very harmful because we have to live that reality as black people, but white people only point to the examples that really suit their narrative. I will do you one better. Not only is Please. there a cognitive dissonance, mm -hmm. they want to point to a Vice President Harris or President Obama mm -hmm. as the end of racism, but also declare there wasn't any racism in the foundational creation mm. of this nation. And you can't have it both ways. And mm. here's the problem as I see it. Today, we're more concerned when I say we, America, is more concerned about not being called racist but not also dealing with the actual racism. They're fine with the racism, which goes on in the, in the, in the hearing of Ketanji Brown Jackson. They're mm -hmm. fine with the casual racism and the presumption that black people are somehow inferior and need to prove their worth or pr prove that they deserve to be in the room, that they're not affirmative action, things of that nature, but they're not fine with being called racist mm -hmm. because the moment that you ca castigate someone as racist and you call out that behavior as consistent with being a racist, then they have to actually look at themselves and see the racism and what they do. Absolutely. And that's the problem that Chris Wallace had, because wait a minute, what do you mean that people who think this way or act this way may be racist or find the foundation of America is racist? Because I, as Chris Wallace, paraphrasing, didn't seem to think that there was anything wrong with the foundation <laughs> of America. And, 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 and it's almost like part and parcel of our idea of what is a, ter a terrorist or a domestic terrorist. Terrorists can't be the people who are in Congress or look like the people who are in Congress or sure. the people who were at the, the, uh, the Capitol on January yeah. 6th, because if you do then you're looking at wait a minute that means that i as a congressperson who is uh, happens to be white can be considered a terrorist that's why we do not to this day at this moment have domestic terrorism laws specifically uh for those domestic terrorists if you look in the code in the u.s code there is not a law for domestic terrorism because you can't pass a law in america which says that people look like uh senator so-and-so a congresswoman so-and-so could actually be deemed terrorists well so said. we're more concerned about what what is uh, who is called a racist not the racist behavior of those individuals absolutely i think the the optics become more important to those folks you know i one thing that i say on on this show and and on my other show civic cipher is that people tend to be fine with racism provided that there is a thin veneer of patriotism uh on top of it and then people can excuse the 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 sum total of the racism you know we saw that with a supreme court justice at the time nominee uh katanji brown jackson which you know all we, we saw racism we saw sexism but you know if there's some patriot we're protecting this country as long as you say that you get that bar off and everybody or at least half the country seems to be like okay well it's not racism and, and it's just i think um again that cognitive dissonance and it just gives folks that little bit to, to cling on to and we see through it, obviously, but that's their argument. And so here we are. Um, all right. So moving on. Ooh. <laughs> uh, did you read the story from News One where the black male professor thinks that more black women should marry white men? Unfortunately, I did. Yeah. And I yeah. say unfortunately, it's a, an author, a person that I'm familiar with. And uh, it's disappointing because in his editorial, it was more about promoting his previous book about whether black people should get married or whether marriage is only for white people. Yeah, it was that. more for self-promotion than an actual honest discussion of the role of marriage 
in the upward mobility of black people. I understood the point that he was trying to make. I just yeah. thoroughly reject it. It goes back to the old argument that the white man's ice is somehow colder, that we should make our life decisions about whom we marry regarding whether that person can afford us a degree of upward mobility. And I think it's laughable to suggest that black women are somehow better off by choosing two examples, extreme examples of success just because they happen to have uh, white husbands talking about Vice President Harris and now Justice KBJ. They, uh, they, there is no ca causation or correlation in their success. And I think attributing their success on any level to the spouses that they married, especially in the in a, in a, uh, in a, uh, uh, example of Vice President Harris, mm -hmm. denies the greatness in the women themselves. Mm -hmm. And they didn't choose their spouses because, well, this is going to help me get ahead in life. They were great all by themselves, and they happened to be black, and they fell in love with whom they fell in love with. And I think that if we're going to be honest about the greatness of black people, then we should never try to attribute it or connect it to a white person who has to open the door for us. Mm. I think that is very, very self-defeating. Mm. Now, now let me paint this picture a bit. Um, the gentleman's name is Ralph Richard Banks. He's a black law professor from Stanford Law School, and he's offered also the uh, the co-founder of the Stanford Center for Racial Justice. So this isn't just some nobody, and this is why we're talking about it. So it's just someone who has the, the credentials. So for him to make a claim like this is obviously something we react to. In his article, uh, this in this article rather, it says that uh, black women are better off marrying white men because, in his opinion, white men are their path to optimizing their success. And that's you know to your point. Um, he cites a couple of notes. Uh, one that black men are less likely than black women to complete high school and fifty percent less likely to have completed a four year degree. And and then his point effectually is that white men, as, as you stated, offer more social mobility to black women and then use the two examples. And, and you nailed it. You know, they use two examples where these women were great on their own. These these their husbands, these white men they married did not provide them any. Any opportunities that conceivably they would not have been able to, to create or, or find on their own. So I just think that's really interesting. Um, but as you mentioned, he does make some points. I don't think that he connects them to like our shared reality. Um, so I'm in agreement with you, but he does make some points. Uh, one of them is, is kind of one that I, I found in my own, you know, travels. So this, I, I don't hold me to it. I'm not sure that uh, I have it entirely accurate, but I do recall it being something to the effect of black women being the least married, least married women and Asian men being the least married man. So black women being the least married women, Asian men being the least married man. And so because black women tend to be unmarried, to his point, um, he was trying to suggest, at least in part, that this will offer you some of the societal benefits if we look beyond, okay, we need a black man to complete the black house, rather we need to complete the home, and then we have the same resources and tax advantages whatsoever to um, navigate this society. And so, yeah, this, these were his points. I don't want to be unfair to this man, but 
you know, just an interesting take. And, it was uh, interesting, but I thought there was a fallacy that mm-hmm. presupposed that black women were always or most often specifically looking for a black man, a racial construct, sure. a first line of this is what it has to be. And I'm quite sure there is on some level, but we fall in love with who we fall in love with. And a mm-hmm. lot of times it has to do with um, shared experiences and, and things which we uh, cultural affinity for one another my wife is black but i've dated all sorts of women and i don't say that as a boast i'm just saying you you connect with with whom you connect and there's one other thing and you brought it up and i don't know if you realized it it's not a zero-sum game it's not just black woman white man it could be asian man it could be latino man Mm -hmm. and for him to boil it down to just it's either black man or white man for the black woman suggests that he doesn't live or understand the america in which we live in 2022 i love it well, that's going to do it for us today. So I appreciate you, sir. Thank you very much for your insight. Once again, our guest today is Mo Kelly, host of the award-winning Mo Kelly Show, at radio and television commentator who specializes in politics and current affairs. Before you go, uh, drop your social media, website, everything. Sure, you can always find me at Mr. Mo Kelly on Twitter and Instagram, M-R-M-O-K-E-L-L-Y. Of course, you can listen to the Mo Kelly Show Saturdays and Sundays on KFI AM 640 in Los Angeles and iHeartRadio. Or hit me at my personal website, MrMoKelly.com. Ramses, this was a great conversation. Let's be sure to do it again sometime. Yes, sir. And this has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Be sure to follow us on all social media at Our Daily Story Podcast. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective right here on Our Daily Story. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.